Welcome to the UX Joburg podcast. What you are about to listen to is an excerpt from a customer journey mapping masterclass from a recent UX Joburg online meetup. The masterclass is presented by UX Joburg's organizer, Yaku van den Heerfer. Yaku has been working in the UX design industry for over 13 years, leading design teams at companies such as Standard Bank and Vodacom. He also completed an MBA at Witts Business School in 2013. In 2017, he left corporate life and started Sand Dollar Design, an experienced design and product innovation consulting firm. His latest venture is mybloodtest.co.za, an online blood testing service disrupting the pathology industry through a digital health platform to improve patient experience. So, hi everyone, it's really a great um, evening to be here with all of you. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces from all over the world, so thank you guys for joining me. And I look forward to sharing with you a little bit tonight about uh, my experience in the field of um, UX and specifically customer journey mapping. So over the last decade or so, I have um, consulted at various companies and I've presented many journey mapping workshops and many journey mapping deliverables. So I'm hoping to just share a little bit of practical experience around that with you tonight. Check it in whether the screens are displaying properly. Jonathan, is it all displaying fine? Yeah, it's all looking great on our side. Okay, perfect. So we're going to start off um, the kind of theoretical component tonight by just looking at what is a customer journey map. So a customer journey map is a visual representation of the customer experience with your organization. And it tells the story of the experience from cradle to grave. So from when the customer initially learns about your brand and starts getting awareness of your company to when they actually start interacting with you, when they purchase a product or when they actually take up your service and up to a long-term relationship in the ideal world or alternatively when they exit or stop using your products or services. So it also provides insights into your customers' motivations, needs, and pain points. And we do customer journey maps um, as a strategic level tool so that we can create awareness and alignment across the organization so that people actually understand what the real customer experience is with your brand and with your organization. And so that everyone around the table in a company can actually do their best to help and improve the customer experience. So you might ask yourself then, as a UX designer, how does a journey map actually help you? So what value does it actually add to you in the design process? And how does it create value for the organization? So the first thing that a journey map does is that it helps you to understand all the different touch points that a customer, the user can interact with, uh, with your organization, and also where those handovers can happen between channels. Um, so in many cases, a UX designer might only be responsible for designing a certain channel, that maybe you're responsible for designing the app, but the company also has a website, it also has physical stores, it also has a call center, 
And you need to understand what all those touch points are because many times the customer won't only interact with your organization in a single touch point. So you need to make sure by understanding all these touch points and where the handovers happen, what the real experience is and where do you actually need to create some consistency and alignment between these different touch points and channels. The next thing that a journey map does is it helps you to identify the areas that need attention. Um, so when we go through the construct of a journey map, you'll see that there's specific things where we try and identify things like pain points. We look at metrics and those things help you to actually focus on what are your biggest problem areas. Um, and that's typically where you can solve the biggest pain points for your customers but also where some of the low-hanging fruits might lie, things that you can actually fix quickly and easily and get a lot of positive uplift out of that. The next thing that it does is to help identify areas that are actually doing well. So it's also important to know what's working as much as knowing what isn't working. So when things are working, the idea is not to change it, but obviously there's also room for improvement um, in any case. And the next thing that you um, typically want to do with a journey map or how it helps you is kind of the whole reason why you're doing it is to identify the opportunities for improvement. So going through a journey mapping exercise should ultimately lead to you coming up with lots of ideas of how you can actually improve the customer experience. And lastly, journey maps are an extremely valuable tool in improving the understanding and communication that you have across teams. Um, and this is also one of the factors in terms of how you actually facilitate journey maps, um, is that you actually have to bring people from across the organization together to co-create these journey maps. And that then creates that improved understanding and communication across the whole team. Okay, so when you do journey mapping, there's a couple of different perspectives or angles that you can come at them. So um, the first way that you can look at a journey map is to look at the current state. Um, so the current state is where you're looking at what is the customer experience today and what is working and what is not working with it in the current state. The alternative to the current state is looking at the future state journey map. So when you do a future state journey mapping exercise, you're actually mapping out the ideal customer experience or the ideal customer journey that you would like the experience to be. And what this then becomes is kind of your two opposite ends of your roadmap. So if you know what your current state is and how the current state looks, what's wrong and what's working well, and you know what your future state looks like, you can then start mapping out a roadmap of improvements to get from your current state to your future state. The other perspective that you can bring into journey mapping is also the level of granularity. So typically when you do customer journey mapping, it's done more at a high strategic level and you look at the entire customer journey across the whole life cycle of a customer with your organization. So that's done kind of at a high helicopter level view and you're looking really to highlight the main pain points and the main things that are working well when you're doing that. But in other instances, you might actually zone in on one specific step of the customer journey. So you might go and focus really deeply on, for example, just the buying step of the process where the person is actually making a purchase. 
and you can really go into detail and low level detail and get a lot of granular data. Um, so it's just important to know when you're doing it, which level you're doing it at and how detailed you want to go. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you through a couple of components of a good customer journey map. Um, so this is based on my own experience over the last decade or a little bit over a decade doing customer journey maps. Uh, if you go and you Google customer journey map, you'll find many examples and many templates um, out there on the internet. And what I've done is I've kind of combined a lot of the elements from different templates and examples. Um, and basically put together a guideline of stuff that I've practically found to work very well. So I'm sure there's areas that I might not cover, but I feel pretty confident that this is a very good kind of structure and template that you can use um, for your journey maps going forward. So the first thing that we put into a journey map is the steps in the process or the customer lifecycle phases. So this isn't always exactly the steps that you're seeing on your screen now. Um, you'll have to define this for each organization and for each product and service, but it typically follows quite a similar pattern if you're looking at the entire customer lifecycle. And the steps in the process you typically place horizontally um, at the top of your customer journey map, uh, whether you're doing a, a whiteboard facilitation exercise or whether you're creating a customer journey map deliverable in some kind of a design tool. Um, so the steps that you've got at the top will typically cover the following uh, parts of the customer lifecycle. So you've got the awareness phase, and this is where someone kind of learns about your product or service or learns about your brand. The next step is explore, where they have become interested and are actually starting to investigate and look at what the options are and almost getting to that decision of purchasing your product or service. So the next step is the buy step in the process, and that's the actual purchasing step. Um, so that would include stuff like check out if it's an online process, um, adding your credit card details, those kind of things. And once the customer has bought the product or service, they would then typically be onboarded or they might actually receive a physical product or a service or they might download something. So there's always that kind of onboarding or delivery aspect. And then the next step is when they actually start using your product. So in the ideal world, they'll just use the product, love the product and be happy. But as we all know, when people start using products and services, many times they actually need support or service to help them through that. So that's where we look at those aspects. And then lastly, we typically have a step for renewing, which means they'll either like upgrade the product or service or they continue using it, or alternatively, they might leave um, your services or your company as a customer. So those are typically the steps, but um, it can actually be different depending on what type of business you're in. So this is kind of a guideline, but it can definitely be tailored to suit different types of businesses and different customer journeys. The next aspect that makes for a good customer journey map is to start unpacking what is the process within each of these steps. So all the elements that I'm going to go through now will actually do for each of the steps in the customer lifecycle. So if you're thinking about your deliverable, this 
is actually the rows now going down below the customer journey lifecycle steps. So for each of those steps, you will then ask yourself in the sessions that you're facilitating, you will document what is the process that's actually followed to conduct the step in the customer lifecycle. So for example, if it is um, uh, online food ordering service, the first step will be that you will go and search on the internet. So you're basically trying to find out what's available. The next element that we put into the journey map is looking at what are the customer needs and questions at this step in the customer lifecycle. So that's where you ask yourself, what does the customer actually think during this phase of the lifecycle? What are the typical questions that they have um, about the step in the process? What are the things that they're unsure of? Or what are the things that they're thinking? Maybe they've got fears, maybe they've got certain drivers that might motivate them to actually purchase the product. So it's important to document those things. And I'll touch on it a little bit later in the talk, but all of these things should ideally be based on data and research. Um, so it's important to actually base it on data and research and get people in the room when you're creating this that will bring in good, solid insights and experience in these various aspects. So the next thing we look at are the different customer touch points. So this is where we start saying, um, in which way is it possible for the customer to interact with your organization during this phase of the life cycle? And then you start looking at all the various channels like your website, your mobile app, your call center, USSD, SMS, WhatsApp chats, do you have a store where they can go in person? Do you have agents that go out into the field? Um, do you use email communications? So all of these various touch points you would then actually document. Uh, um, so full idea of how it's actually possible to interact with your organization at this step. When you're looking at a future state, you would obviously then define what are the ideal touch points that you want to use. The next aspect that you bring into your customer journey map is experience metrics. So this is typically only going to be available if you are an existing organization and you are running a lot of um, customer metrics in your actual channels. So the example that you're seeing on the screen, this question, how likely are you to recommend this to someone? Um, this is the NPS question. Um, so basically gives you an NPS rating. And if you've got this kind of data available, if you've got this kind of data available from your touch points, you can then start plotting across your customer journey. Where is it actually going well? Where are the good metrics and where are there not such good metrics that you can focus on to actually then improve the experience um, in those areas where it's not going well? Um, it's also important just to note that um, you can't always compare metrics across the customer lifecycle with each other. So um, as an example, when um, I worked for a telecommunications company in the past, we used to see much higher NPS scores uh, during the buy part of the customer journey 
um, when people are either taking out a contract or when they're purchasing things like data or airtime compared to when they're doing things like servicing um, or when they're just browsing. Um, and the reason for that is that there's actually a whole emotional experience attached to purchasing something successfully. Um, and that would immediately like raise those scores, even if the experience of that is kind of at the same level as the support. It's just the emotional element does play quite a big role in that. So you always have to also take these things with a pinch of salt. Okay, so the next element that we typically cover in a customer journey map is pain points. So this is where you want to identify what are currently the things that are really irritating the customers or that they're really struggling with and the things that you really want to make sure you can fix when you're putting any new designs or experience improvements in place. Um, and for this, you typically use things like um, actual research data where you go out and you speak to the users to get the data or you can use things like call center logs to see what the most common complaints are in the call center or maybe in your stores. Um, you can get people from the front lines to actually also participate in these sessions and they can tell you what the biggest pain points are for the existing customers. And those pain points are typically the things by solving those, you would then create a great experience for your users. The next aspect that we consider as part of the customer journey map is competitors. So the idea here is that for every step of the life cycle, you want to highlight some of the key things that your competitors are actually getting right. Um, and that will also help you to identify where do you need to match your competitors or where can you actually do things that are better than your competitors. So the idea isn't that you just go into a journey mapping session and just off the top of your head shoot out a couple of ideas of what competitors are doing well and not doing so well. You should actually be doing proper competitor analysis um, as part of the normal UX design process, part of the normal research that you do. Um, but you should bring those insights into your customer journey map as well. Okay, so next we also consider what are the barriers. So barriers are typically those things like laws, um, compliance reasons, technological stuff that's basically stopping you from delivering the best possible experience. So um, it might be that You've got this amazing idea that you want people to fly in suits from Africa to America in 10 hours. But logically, that's just not possible. So that's a barrier that obviously you won't overcome quite soon. But in each business, you find this technology might not be there yet to do the things that you want to do. Um, and it's also very important to have people from a compliance and a legal um, aspect to contribute to your journey maps because many times you've got great ideas of things that you want to do, but there's laws like data privacy um, and things like that. There might be legislation in your country that prohibits you from doing certain things. So it's critical to identify those and also document them as part of your journey map. And sometimes by documenting those, you actually come up with ideas of how to actually solve problems in a different way that's a bit more creative. 
um, despite those barriers. And many times creativity actually comes out of being constrained quite a lot. Okay, so the next aspect that we cover in a good customer journey map is to identify the moments of service, moments of intimacy, and moments of truth. So moments of service are those steps in the customer lifecycle that customers are basically expecting to work kind of like clockwork. So for example, if you are working, or if you are using a cell phone network, your expectation is that you can make calls and your phone can connect to data and you're able to browse the web on your phone. That's like the basic service that you're expecting. If those moments of service are failing, so if you want to make a call but you can't connect to the network or if you're trying to get onto the internet on your phone and it doesn't connect, that is a very negative experience. So moments of service have a very big negative downside. So it's important to know which are your moments of service and to make sure that those are the ones that work 100% of the time. And if there's any chance that they might fall over, to have a very quick recovery uh, for that. So heavy monitoring and things like that in place to make sure that it works. If you get your moments of service right, it's not actually a big positive upside. That's the minimum expectation that a customer has when they're interacting with your organization, is that the moments of service should work. The next level of interaction is called moments of intimacy. Moments of intimacy is those one or two moments throughout the customer lifecycle where you as an organization might know something almost more personal about your customer. And if you use it in the right way, you can actually create a positive emotional response. So an example of that might be that a person goes to a bank, he arrives at the bank teller, and the bank teller logs into his profile and he sees it's this guy's birthday and he says like, hey, Mr. Johnson, happy birthday. We're so glad you came here. And he has a nice chat with the customer. That creates a positive emotional effect for the customer. And the moments of intimacy don't really have a lot of negative downside. So the risk is a bit lower in terms of doing negative downside, unless you're doing something that's a bit creepy. But typically things like knowing a birthday or knowing like what's your wife's name and asking about your family and things like that when you're starting to build relationships with your customers, those things build intimacy. So if you can identify one or two moments like that in the customer lifecycle, you can actually create great loyalty and intimacy with your customer. And the last level is moments of truth. So moments of truth is the one or two key moments throughout the entire customer lifecycle that will ultimately define the way that they see the experience. So it's the, let's think of the moment when you've purchased an Xbox and it's arrived at your house and you plug it in and it's connected to your internet and you fire it up and you're ready to go. If the Xbox gives you a nice welcome screen and it's easy to set up and you can just get going and start playing, that moment of truth worked. But if it fails at that step, it's quite a negative downside. So it's very important for all your different products and services to know where that moment of truth is and to absolutely make sure that those things are working. Okay, and then ultimately, 
the reason why we do all these things that I've just mentioned. So everything from looking at the process, the pain points, the customer needs and motivations, the barriers, the competitors, all of these things we do in order to trigger ideas of how we can actually improve the experience. So as you go through this process of doing all those steps, you will actually start having these light bulb moments going off in your head and you'll start identifying design ideas. And that's ultimately why we are doing this journey mapping exercise. So at the end of the process, the last step is then to start documenting all your design ideas that get triggered by going through all these other steps. So one of the key things with a customer journey mapping workshop is not to be too critical or negative. Um, you're trying to get as many ideas there as possible. And once you've put them down, you can always have another session where you actually start looking at feasibility and priority and actually saying which of these things can go onto your roadmap for implementation. The idea is not to try and be too critical in the sessions when you're doing customer journey mapping so that you can get lots of ideas flowing because many times one idea actually leads to another idea from another person and another idea that follows on that. Um, so it's really also super important not to be too negative or critical about ideas that people are putting together. Okay, so those are the unique components of creating a good customer journey map. And we're going to go through a practical exercise shortly where we're going to co-create a journey map for a specific business just to get a bit of practical experience and feeling of how that works. But there's a couple of small aspects that I just wanted to discuss before we get into the practical. So the first one is a common question that I get um, is what are all the different terminology and buzzwords that's being used um, for customer journey maps um, in the industry. So there's a lot of different words that people use and sometimes they use them incorrectly and some people kind of use these words interchangeably. So common words related to customer journey mapping that um, I typically hear is user journey, customer journey, journey maps, um, words like task flows. Um, so from my experience and from all the research that I've done about customer journey mapping, the format that I've just covered is the correct format for a customer journey map. And it's a more strategic kind of high level overview of the entire customer life cycle. Um, what I've seen being used in the UX design industry specifically is something that people call a user journey. And what in most cases, what I've seen this is that it's more like almost a screen flow or step-by-step -step detailed process of what the user is doing on a specific system. Um, so personally, I call that a screen flow diagram or a task flow. Um, and that's a much more detailed granular kind of level of the customer journey and typically only covers a small part of the overall customer journey. Um, I think maybe the key thing to communicate here is that um, if someone asks you to do as a deliverable a user journey or a customer journey or a task flow, is to actually just chat to them and confirm what their expectation is. Are they expecting this high level kind of overarching customer journey of the entire customer lifecycle? Or do they want you to actually map out this one specific process of how a user will do this 
on a specific channel. Um, if you do that, then you shouldn't run into any problems. So just make sure what it is that your stakeholder actually wants from you. Okay, so as we went through all those um, aspects of what makes up a good journey map, um, you would have probably seen that in order to do it well, you're going to need a lot of inputs and the idea is that you will actually use the deliverables from following a proper user-centered design process. So to create a good journey map, you're going to need lots of data. You can use things like your customer personas. So if you understand who your different users are, what their needs are, what different tasks are that they do, their goals and motivations, you can then think about those personas as you are going through the customer journey map. And you can then start making sure that you're actually covering all the different users when you're doing that exercise. The next thing is that you actually should use insights from customer research. So anyone in the UX design industry knows that you need to spend time with customers, you need to interview them, you need to observe them in order to really understand them. So those are the things that you actually need in order to create a good journey map. If you have access to customer experience metrics, that's great, and it will really help you to almost quantify the different steps in your current customer experience. Um, so this is where we look at things like net promoter score, customer effort score, and customer satisfaction score, or any other feedback mechanisms that you have where customers give you feedback about the process. The next one is that we want to get cross-functional perspectives. So this isn't about a team of UX designers getting together and mapping out their version of the customer journey. The idea is that you're actually bringing the whole organization or representatives from different areas of the organization together to give you all the different perspectives from each of the functions in the business. So you want to get people from customer service because they are the ones actually dealing with customers face to face. You want to get people from product because they're the ones that have ideas about features and business rules. You want to get the business decision makers because they typically make decisions that can impact the customer experience. The design team is obviously critical and the technology team is especially good at telling us what the barriers are and what can't be done but we definitely need to get their perspective as well. And then lastly, compliance, legal, um, that perspective is also critical to make a good customer journey map. So one of the core things of creating a good customer journey map is the journey mapping workshop. Um, and what I would recommend for doing a proper journey mapping workshop is to really take a day out of the office, get everyone together, um, it's not that you'll necessarily spend eight hours, but you probably at least need about four hours, maybe four to six hours um, of real solid thinking time. So if you can book a whole day out and get everyone to book out their diaries for the day, put some nice breaks in between. And then it's very important when you do the workshop to get everybody's inputs. And this is done through a good facilitator. Um, so what you typically find in any room is that there's some people that are more extroverted and some that are more introverted. The extroverts typically kind of take over any conversation. Um, they want to be heard. They want to give an opinion about other people's 
inputs. Um, so what a good facilitator does is to make sure that everyone actually gives their inputs. And one of the ways that you can do that is by following what we call a faucet versus a funnel approach. So a faucet is basically when you open up the taps and you let the water run as quickly as possible. So the way that you do that is to actually get your audience in your workshop to each sit and individually first identify their ideas and thoughts. So give them each a pile of sticky notes and when you're looking at pain points on a certain step, you first ask everyone to sit on their own and map out their own ideas about the pain points individually. And once you've done that, that's the faucet step, then you start going into a funnel approach where people then start putting their ideas on the board and then you'll start seeing, okay, we've got some duplicates. So obviously there's a strong theme here and you can start grouping those duplicates together to show that it's a strong theme. And that way you're actually likely to get much more inputs from everybody. And typically what you'll find is that a lot of intelligent people with great ideas might be more reserved. So this approach does help to get their ideas and inputs as well. Um, the other thing that you can do as part of your workshop is to allocate a user persona to each participant. So you, if you have user personas, it might even be a good idea to create user personas if you don't for a journey mapping workshop. Um, and you can actually tell each person in the room, here's a persona that I want you to think about as we go through this process today. So you can think about yourself, but also think about this persona and what they might think at each of these different steps. And that way you can also make sure that you've got good coverage of your different personas in your journey map. And lastly, um, it's just about the facilitation. Timekeeping is critical. So um, as you'll see, we're going to look at a practical board now. A journey map has a lot of steps that you need to work through. So you need to be really strong on your timekeeping and facilitation is definitely going to be necessary because what you find is that as soon as someone volunteers an idea, other people that want to start debating those ideas. And the idea with journey mapping is not to debate every single idea that comes up. It's more to get the ideas out there and you can always critically evaluate it outside of the journey mapping workshop itself. The last thing to do is to document your journey map. So if you're doing a journey mapping workshop on a whiteboard and you've got lots of sticky notes up, um, you can take pictures, you can actually get someone to sit in the session and take notes as you're going through it. Um, so many times what we want to do is to create a visual journey map in a tool. And it's also good if you can get someone to start capturing the things as the workshop is happening. And that's where tools actually also comes in. So there's a lot of tools out there. I'm not going to focus a lot on the, the available tools, but anything from whiteboards in the actual sessions that you're facilitating uh, to things like PowerPoint. Um, Papilio is a new tool that's been launched in South Africa. Um, Smaply, Miro, Canvanizer, Cust Excellence. There's a whole lot of tools that's available. Each of them has their pros and their cons. Um, so I think especially now with everyone working remotely, these um, online tools are going to become more popular for things like journey mapping. And uh, we're going to practically try out Miro um, as part of the session today, so you'll get a good feeling of how that works.
But remember, when it comes to tools, a fool with a tool is still a fool. It's not really about the tool, it's about the process and understanding what the purpose is of all the components of a customer journey map. So the tool isn't going to make a good customer journey map or not. You must still follow the correct approach in creating your customer journey map, regardless of which tool you're using. If you learned something from this episode and would like to hear more content like this in the future, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review so that other people can find our show. If you have any questions, go into the show notes where you can find a link to our Twitter or even to leave a voice note, which we may include in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.